Chapter 37 of History of the Norwegian People, Volume 1 by Knut Gershet. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 37 The Discovery and Colonization of Greenland. About the year 900, a man by the name of Gunbjorn, while on a voyage to Iceland, was driven out of his course far to the westward, where he claimed that he discovered a new land. In Iceland, stories were told of his adventure, and the land which he claimed to have seen was called Gunbjörnishere, Scary Rock. In 982, Eric the Red, a settler near the mouth of the Breidafjord in northwestern Iceland, was outlawed for killing a man in a brawl. He left Iceland with a few followers and undertook to find the land which Gunbjörn had seen. He reached the ice-bound east coast of Greenland, and finding it uninhabitable, he continued the voyage southward along the coast, rounded the southern extremity of the island, and came finally to a fjord on the west coast, which he called Eriksfjord, Tunugliarfik. During the following three years, he explored the west coast of Greenland and sought out the places where colonies might be established. He then returned to Iceland to induce people to migrate to the new land. He called it Greenland because he thought that it would be easier to persuade people to go there if the land had a fine name. In 986, 25 ships sailed for Greenland, but only 14 reached their destination. The rest were lost or had to return. It is possible that the fleet was caught in the great earthquake which is known to have occurred at that time. The Flatajarbuk mentions a Christian colonist from the Hebrides who accompanied Herjulf, one of the early settlers, on his voyage to Greenland. He wrote a poem, the Hafgirthinga Drapa, about the great breakers in the ocean from which he praised God to protect him. Only a single stanza of the poem has been preserved. The colonists found no native inhabitants where they settled, but numerous traces of human beings convinced them that Greenland was inhabited. The reliable old writer Ara Froda says, they found remnants of human dwelling places both eastward and westward in the land, stone weapons and fragments of boats, from which it was evident that the people who inhabit Vinland, and whom the people of Greenland call Skrælings, had also sojourned here. Two settlements were founded on the west coast. The eastern settlement, in 60 degrees to 61 degrees north latitude, corresponding to the present Julianhaub district, and the western settlement farther up the coast, in 64 degrees to 65 degrees north latitude, located in the present district of Godthob. The eastern settlement numbered at one time 190 dwellings, 12 churches, a cloister, and a monastery. The western settlement had 90 dwellings and 4 churches. The number of inhabitants in the two settlements probably never exceeded 2,000. In Greenland, the winters are long and cold, and the sea is covered with huge icebergs till quite late in the spring. But in the summer months, a green belt of vegetation stretches along the western coast behind which tower the immense glaciers and huge snow-covered mountains. The weather during this season of the year is agreeable, and the scenery beautiful. Explorers claim that those who have stayed long enough to become acquainted with conditions always like to return to Greenland. The vegetation in the summer is quite varied. There are no forests, but birch trees reach a diameter of 6 inches and a height of 20 feet, and they are numerous enough to form considerable groves. There is an abundance of grass, flowers, berries, and brush. The blue fjords and green valleys, the calm, clear air, the sun shining on glaciers and snow-covered mountains, give the region in the summertime a serene and tranquil beauty. Fish are found in abundance in the streams, as well as in the sea, and seals, walrus, polar bears, and fur-bearing animals are plentiful. Cattle, sheep, goats, and horses thrived well, and were kept in goodly numbers by the settlers. The King's Mirror says, It is said that in Greenland there is a good pasturage, the people have many sheep and cattle, and make cheese and butter in large quantities. 
but no grain could be raised, and we are told that many of the people living there, especially those of the poorer classes, had never tasted bread. By the Eriksfjord lay Brattalid, the home of Eric the Red, the first chieftain's residence erected in Greenland. By the Einarsfjord, Igeliko, lay Garder, where the Althing met every summer. The Icelandic laws and system of government were introduced. The settlements were divided into districts, or Sisler, and all important matters were brought before the Althing, where the Lovsigamund presided. The settlers continued to explore the west coast of Greenland. In the summer, they sailed northward to a place called Northersether, in the region about Disco Bay, to hunt seal and to gather driftwood. How far north they penetrated is not known, but in 1824 a runestone was found in the island of Kingigtorsuak, 72 degrees, 55 minutes, 20 seconds north latitude, which shows that they reached this latitude. Professor Magnus Olsen thinks that the stone dates from about 1300. The colonists built their houses and churches of stone, and many ruins of these early buildings are still found. Their dwelling houses were of good size, and separate stables were built for horses, cattle, and sheep. Intellectual life flourished, and literature was produced also in Greenland. The Atlamal, of the Elder Edda, was no doubt composed there in the second half of the 11th century. Kostbera's dream of the polar bear coming into the house and devouring the people shows that the poem was written in Greenland. It may indeed happen that polar bears reached the coast of Iceland on cakes of ice, but such instances are rare, and it could not have occurred to an Icelandic poet to describe such a bear as coming into the houses and devouring people. A few lines of a northern Setudrapa, written in Greenland, have also been preserved. Stories and sagas were told at the Althing in Greenland, as well as in Norway and Iceland. Navigation between Greenland and Iceland was often difficult and dangerous, and was at times entirely interrupted by ice. In 999, Leif Eriksson, the son of Eric the Red, struck boldly across the Atlantic and sailed from Greenland to Norway by way of the Hebrides. This was the first voyage made directly across the Atlantic Ocean and marks the beginning of ocean navigation. When we consider that the voyage was made in open boats and without compass, we can understand the daring of these northern sailors. It is an achievement which ranks with the greatest in the history of navigation. A new route of commerce and travel was thus opened between Norway and Greenland, and a lucrative trade soon sprang up between the two countries. The King's Mirror, Kongespeile, says that some go to Greenland because of the renown which they gain by exposing themselves to great dangers, others go to satisfy their curiosity, but some for the sake of profit. The Greenlanders have to import nearly all things needed in the colonization of the country, iron, building material, and other necessaries, but they sell hides, seal skins, walrus teeth, and ropes of walrus hide. Grain was also a leading article of import. While Leif Eriksson was in Norway, he visited King Olaf Tryggvason, who persuaded him to receive the Christian faith. He undertook to introduce Christianity in Greenland on his return, and the king sent a missionary along to aid him in the work. The people received the new faith without much difficulty, but their moral and spiritual life was at first but slightly influenced by the change, and heathen customs continued to prevail. Leif's father, Eric the Red, refused to be baptized and continued to worship an old polar bear staying in the neighborhood of Brattahlid. Greenland became a bishopric, probably about 1110, although Arnoldr, who was ordained bishop in Lund, in Skåne, in 1124, is the first bishop of Greenland known to have been ordained. A cathedral was erected at Gardar, where the bishop resided, but the foundations alone remain of the once proud structure. Its massive walls of red sandstone have been used as a quarry, where the inhabitants in modern times found convenient building material. 
The foundations and ruins of five churches from this period have been found, among others a well-preserved ruin at Kakutok of a church, which probably was never completed. Excavations have been made in these ruins, and a number of relics have been brought to light. In the eastern settlement, the ruins of about 100 dwellings have been found. In perusing the later history of the colonies, it grows constantly darker, until at length the light completely fails. When modern intercourse again brings this remote region to view, it presents to the inquisitive eye of the traveler not flourishing settlements, but a graveyard where all traces of the colonists are lost. What we ask became of the now extinct colonies. In 1261, in the reign of King Haakon Haakonsson, Greenland became a Norwegian dependency, or crown colony. Till the beginning of the 14th century, considerable traffic was maintained between Greenland, Iceland, and Norway, but the Black Death, which reached Norway in 1349, gave this traffic a severe blow. Great harm had already been done by making colonial trade a royal monopoly, so that no trading vessels could go to the colonies, except a few which were in the king's service. This monopoly stopped all enterprise, and virtually put an end to commercial intercourse with Greenland. When the Hanseatic merchants finally gained control of Bergen, the most important commercial city in Norway at that time, and swept Norwegian commerce from the sea, the colonies in Greenland were completely cut off from all communication with the mother country, on which they depended for so many of the necessaries of life. Nothing more was heard about them, and they were soon entirely forgotten. The last mention of the colonies is found in a papal letter issued by Pope Alexander VI in the first year of his pontificate, 1492-1493, dealing with the appointment of a new bishop for Greenland. For eighty years or thereabouts, says the Pope, absolutely no bishop or priest governed that church of Greenland in personal residence, and he complains that Christianity has almost died out there. Being left without aid by the mother country, the settlers were in sore straits, and were probably forced little by little to adopt the mode of life of the Eskimos. The western settlement seems to have been abandoned prior to 1340. A priest, Ivar Bordson, from Norway, came to Greenland in 1341, and was sent to the western settlement with a small force to aid the settlers, but he did not find a person there. The colony was entirely destroyed, says the account. Only a few almost wild sheep and cattle were found and brought to the eastern settlement. For the year 1379, the Icelandic annals contain the following notice. The Skrælings attacked the Greenlanders, killed 18 of them, and carried away two boys whom they made slaves. Where this fight took place, or what was the cause of it, is not known. In 1418, the Skrælings again attacked the settlers, killed many people, and burned houses and churches. References to these events are found in a letter by Pope Nicholas V, dated September 20, 1448 in which he speaks of the calamities which befell the church and people of Greenland thirty years earlier. What finally became of the settlers is left to conjecture. Did they all perish, or did they finally join the Eskimos after all hope of aid from the mother country had to be abandoned? The Danish explorer, Norman Hansen, in a lecture on his investigations of the ruins of the Old Norse colonies in Greenland, recently delivered at Copenhagen, states that at the head of one of the fjords he and his companions made their way up a fork-shaped river and found, in a place difficult of approach, a ruin, which from its situation seems to have been the last place of refuge of the Norse colonists. The buildings in this remarkable retreat were constructed in a more substantial way than elsewhere. On the top of a high mountain, Iglerfigselik, two stone circles are found which seems to be the remains of stone huts erected there by the Norse colonists. Mr. Daniel Brun thinks that these huts have been used by watchmen who year after year maintained the fruitless outlook for aid from the mother country, which never came till the last colonist had perished. 
Professor Nansen maintains that the views hitherto generally held that the colonists were exterminated by the Eskimos are untenable for many reasons. The attacks on the colonists which the Eskimos are reported to have made must have been provoked by the settlers themselves, as the Eskimos are a very peaceful people, and these conflicts could scarcely have been so serious as to lead to the destruction of the colonies. The report that Ivar Bardson in 1341 found the western settlement destroyed rests on a misconception, according to Nansen. The report says that he found no people, but only some sheep and cattle. This does not prove that the people had been killed, but the report itself seems to be erroneous. The sheep and cattle could have existed in Greenland uncared for, but a short time during the summer months. If the settlement had been destroyed, this must have happened then, shortly before Bardson's arrival, in which case traces of the final conflict would still have been visible. Norse loanwords and traditions still found among the Eskimos indicate that the Norse settlers finally joined them. During long periods, the colonists had no priests to maintain the Christian religion among them, and they gradually returned to paganism. This can be seen both from Pope Alexander VI's letter and from an entry in Gisla Odson's Annals, written in Iceland in 1637. The people of Greenland fell away from the true faith and the Christian religion, and after having lost all good customs and true virtues, they returned to the American people. This can only mean that they turned to the ways of the native inhabitants. Professor Nansen shows that the Eskimos' mode of life was the only one possible for the colonists in Greenland after the connections with the mother country had been severed. In 1406, a ship sailing from Norway to Iceland strayed from its course and finally landed in Greenland, where it remained till 1410, when it returned to Norway. This is the last definite mention of a voyage from Norway to Greenland. But the letter of Pope Alexander VI, 1492, indicates that news had been brought from Greenland regarding conditions there shortly before the letter was written. There are also other indications that a voyage was made to Greenland in the latter part of the 15th century. Some sources even state that the expedition took place in 1476. After this time, no mention is made of voyages to Greenland. When John Davis in 1585 reached the coast of Greenland, the land of desolation, 600 years after Eric the Red had first discovered it, he found Eskimos there, but the white settlers had disappeared, and Davis thought he was the real discoverer of the country. End of chapter 37